us, oh God, and move by your spirit. Change us, oh God, into what you would have us to be. Put our hands together, church. Bless the Lord. And let praise be the weapon that silences the enemy. Oh, let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it rise, let praise arise. We sing your name in the dark and it changes everything. Oh, we sing with all we are and we claim your victory. Let it rise. Fear cannot survive 
pour out your praise to the Lord now on high. He is worthy. We pour out our praise to you, O oh God. We magnify you, O oh God, creator of all. We bless you and praise you, O oh Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is Worship the Lord in this place, church. He is here to be adored. Worship the Lord, church. How we magnify you. How we glorify you, O oh Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for your presence. I know there is peace within your presence. 
Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus from Jesus over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, 
Jesus, we lift you up. We praise you. Above every other name, we lift you up today. Bless us. Open our hearts. Open our minds. Let us enter into a state that we've never been before. Let the Holy Spirit fill this place from the pulpit to the back door. In the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Aren't you glad to be in church today? Can you give Jesus a hand clap of praise today for what he's done? Amen. Um, I'm, I'm going to get right into the word. We're going to talk about devilish diplomacy, but before I do that really quick, I just want you to know Dylan and Hillary Baldwin are proud parents of their second son. Stone Davis Baldwin was born January the 17th, 9 pounds, 6 ounces, 20 inches long. So they're not here yet, but if they're watching today, congratulations to Dylan and Hillary. That's right. And to these grandparents. Ants. Secondly, we're going to be having a harvest festival drive. This is something that the Church of God sends us every year in which our district comes together to raise a certain item for the home for children. This year, we're going to be doing trash bags. There's two different sizes to keep it from being confusing for you. We're just needing to raise $750 before the end of the month. So if you want to throw an extra 10, 15, 20 bucks, 
that would be appreciated. All you've got to do, just put in the Home for Children Fund, and we'll know exactly what it's going for. And so we hope over the course of the month that we can raise some money there. And some of you that already give, we have some uh, in there that we'll be able to use towards that as well. All right? Next Sunday is Family Day. I'm excited about that. Man, our kids are ready. And um, they're going to be participating in the service throughout. And so I'm excited about that. Devilish diplomacy. If you have your Bibles, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 20 is where we're going to be reading from this morning. And I want to take the time to read it because I really think that it is a very, very powerful scripture. At that time, Baradak Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. Grab this. For he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. That's a key part of the verse. And Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house of his treasures, the silver, the gold, the spices, precious ointment, all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was, grab this, there was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show to them. Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? Where did they come from? So Hezekiah said they came from a far country, from Babylon. And uh, for you that are in our Wednesday night services, you know that we're in the book of Daniel right now and we're living out that 70 years of captivity in Babylon that had been prophesied by Isaiah that it would happen. This is part of that. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, You hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated unto this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Is that not discouraging? Everybody agree with me. All right. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Does that sound depressing? So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken to me is good. Everybody just hear what I just read to y'all. I just want to make sure. We'll, we'll get to it later. The word of the Lord which you have spoken to me is good. For he said, will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? There's an old sermon. I want to talk to them. Devilish diplomacy. There's an old sermon that we used to hear preachers preach a lot of, and it was many years ago. They would say, Satan's going to get you if you don't watch out. They always kept us on our tippy toes. I don't know if they were trying to scare us or if they were really just trying to make us pay attention. Now that I look back, I think they were just trying to do both. Scare us and make us pay attention. Because it is certainly still true today that if you don't watch out, Satan will get you. Because Satan is after you. Satan wants you. Satan wants your children. Satan wants your marriage. Satan wants your finances. Everything that is in your house, you need to understand today that he wants it. It is no secret to us today, for us that are believers or for us that have come to church any amount of time or heard anything about the Bible or maybe had an old grandma that went to church. The devil wants all of us to know this today. He is determined. And, and he is out to get us whatever it takes. It is obvious. Even Jesus told Simon Peter, who was the guy that was the, the beginner or the founder of the church, so to speak. He was the first pastor, if we could say it that way, that headed up the church. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, this is what he said. And the Lord said to him, said, Simon, Simon, Peter, indeed Satan, he has asked for you that he may sift you 
as you sift wheat. That means that you take out all of the, the, the bad and you leave the good. But in this case, he wants to take out and sift all of the good out of you. And all he wants left is the bad, the carnality, the flesh that is left in you. He desires to sift you as wheat. But I want you to notice something. In the verse, he said, Satan has asked for you. Why did you ask for something? You are seeking the permission of another person. So if you go to your parents and you say, can I have a bike? What you are doing, you are seeking their permission. Can we go out and buy a bike? Can my friend come over tonight? You are seeking permission for something. See, this is the way that God's economy works. You need to grab this. If you are a child of God, the devil cannot just come and attack you. According to what I'm reading in my Bible, he asks for us. So in other words, if you are a, a, a kingdom disruptor, I mean, if you are disrupting the kingdom of Satan, then there is something in him that says, I have got to stop this before it gets out of hand. The reason that he goes to Simon Peter is simple because Peter is about to be the guy that is going to make a... He had just made a declaration and says, Hey, you are Jesus. You're God. You're the Son of God. And he said, Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not be able to prevail against it. This is what he has just said. And Jesus looks at him and says, Satan has asked for you because he knows you're a kingdom disruptor. I want to ask somebody today, Are you a kingdom disruptor? I mean, if the devil is going to go looking for somebody that he's got to knock out or take out are you a target see even whenever Job the Bible said that when Job was tempted by the devil what did Satan do he presented himself before the sons of men or the sons of God and they went up there and he said hey what about Job can I have Job so Satan has to ask permission showing us that our God is more powerful than any work of darkness somebody ought to say amen it is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2.11 that Paul alludes to the fact that Satan tries to get advantage over us. He will try to gain an advantage over us. But this is also what he said. He said, we are not ignorant of his devices. Meaning, we are not ignorant of his plans. Now, Satan's devices, they are many. The plans that Satan has for us are many. It is important that we understand. He does not always come to us in ways that are easily recognized. Sometimes he comes in in a way that we don't see him. For an example, some days he's a roaring lion. Other days he is a hissing snake. One day he is a fire-breathing dragon down our back. But he is also a cunning fox that is sneaky. He is a raging flood that comes against us, but also a poisonous adder. He is an arrogant and obnoxious accuser of the brethren and the sisters. But he is also known as an angel that is disguised in light. Though he's full of darkness. So this devil that works. Sometimes he even shows up as a wolf in what kind of clothing? You've read your Bible. A wolf in sheep's clothing just so he can try to gain an upper hand on us. Sometimes he comes through the front door like an armored tank, like a battering ram. Let's just hit him hard and hit him fast and knock him out. 
But at other times he'll come through the back door with a briefcase in his hand and a derringer in his arm. That's that little gun they used to use in their sleeves to just slip up. Or in the western days you may, they called it the pocket gun, you know, where you could just quickly access it. Sometimes it's a sneaky weapon. And that's exactly how Satan is. Sometimes you know he's coming. Sometimes you can tell the church pray for me there is an attack on me I can feel it I can sense it but at other times he tries to make himself out as a friend not a foe but he has a derringer and a dagger in his hand just waiting for the right moment to take you out but in the story of Hezekiah and I want to go through this second Kings it's a, it's a good example of this very thing one of Judah's most valuable kings and most versatile kings at the time. He has led them into a revival. We studied this in 2 Kings for you that, and Chronicles for you that were here on Wednesday night. I'm telling you, if you haven't come, you ought to if you can because we're learning a lot about the Bible. As I was studying this, I said, man, we just talked about that. But he led them to a revival, Hezekiah did, a recovery of all the damage that his father Ahaz has done. As we studied, Ahaz was a wicked king. He was setting up all kinds of shrines and they were worshiping a pile of false gods. Hezekiah comes in, revival breaks out. He tells them, go out there and tear down every false god that you can see. You tear it down. Tear down their temples. Tear down their idols. We are going to worship the Lord again. And revival broke out under this king, Hezekiah. He had strongly resisted the Assyrian army that was much greater than them. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. Because they had trusted God for the victory. This same man had prayed for an additional Years in his life when he was sick, God granted him 15 extra years. His prayer was answered. However, this man who held back an entire army, the Assyrians, he had escaped the very grip of death, once unable to conquer the most challenging thing that was coming against his kingdom. And that is a man in our text, the king of Babylon named Baradak Baladan, the king of Babylon. He desires a strong alliance with Judah. Now, King Sennacherib of Assyria was a strong enemy. And the king of Babylon thought to himself, if I can strengthen my stance against them, I can get together with Judah and then we can go against Assyria. I can turn on Judah and I can rule the kingdom. So the Babylonian king, being slick and sly, went about some of the best diplomacy you've ever seen. I'm telling you, he sent messenger to, to Judah. It was, in fact, a diplomatic visit to Hezekiah. See, Hezekiah was not aware of the real enemy. The real enemy was not Assyria, even though he thought that's who his enemy was. His real enemy was Babylon. It is in a little more than a hundred years that Judah is going to fall into their hands. When we look at Baradak Baladin, he is a type of Satan. And there's a lot of things that I want you to see from the story that typify the exact plan, diplomatic plan or strategy that Satan is going to use to bring down men and women today. The first one, go back to verse 20. It is the timing of the matter. Just leave that verse up for a few minutes. The Bible said at that time, this is when Baradak, king of Babylon, came. See, there's something the Bible says in this, for he had heard, watch this, that Hezekiah had been sick. So the timing's got to be right. Have you, have you ever been out of time on something? Have you ever done something you thought to yourself, 
man, I should have held off on that. I should have waited. See, there's one thing that you learn about war is strategy and timing is everything. It was like when old Trump bombed that car, had that leader in it that was, was a crazy radical Islamist and just bombed him, didn't lose anybody but him and his guard or whatever. It's all about the timing, getting them out in the open, and then they struck. See, Satan has a time schedule. And the thing about Satan that's different than us, there's one problem that I have in my life. I'm a very impatient person. If I was, I called one, I called our electrician the other day, and they said, I'm scared to ask you. What? I'm scared to ask you, when do you want this done? And I said, you know I wanted it done yesterday. That was my exact words. Yesterday. And so they said, can you just please start giving me a week or two advance? Please, I, want, I try to help you. I want to help you, but just give me some advancement. I want it done, and I want it done now. That is how my mind works, man. The faster we can get it done, the better we are. But Satan is not that way. Satan is very strategic. He can wait around. See, the timing is right. And the king of Babylon, a, a, a typical figure of Satan, what time does he come? He comes on the heel of Hezekiah's illness. The Bible says he's still in recovery. In other words, he is weak and he is vulnerable. And the enemy knew that. See, the enemy understands. I'm telling you, there was this statement that was somebody said, well, that's not fair. I mean, if we're going to fight, let's fight fair and square. Anybody remember the old saying, all is fair in love and in war. There's no rules. The gloves come off. It doesn't matter if you fight dirty. How many of you used to watch WWF in the day? Anybody remember old nature boy, Woo, Ric Flair? He was a dirty fighter. I used to love it, boy. They throw stuff to him from under the mat. Next thing you know, the guy turns around. There's ketchup all over his face or blood packs, whatever they used. I mean, and he's sitting there, and I'm like, dude, you don't realize something just happened? That guy can't hit that hard. He was known as one of the dirtiest in the, in the trade. He knew the tricks of the trade, and he knew how to do it. You attack people when they're weak and they're vulnerable. Can I tell you, Satan is strategic, and he is unfair. He fights very, very dirty. To him, timing is everything in warfare. He'll find us not at our strongest moments. That's not when he wants us. He wants us at our weakest moments and he will plan for that in 9-11 I was studying the other day it's an interesting study but Osama bin Laden you know they had planned probably 10 or 11 years they were constantly planning different strategies he was a silver engineer so he understood structure and understood buildings and they figured if they could get into New York City and if they could just attack like the Twin Towers and he got their structure down and he knew we've got to hit it here or there in order to make that structure collapse. But they say for 10 to 11 years probably he was planning for this strategy. Being cunning, being sly, we train his guys to fly our planes into our buildings. I mean, you talk about strategy. He waited years and years until he was able to achieve that. And I'm telling you today, from the pulpit to the back door, that that is the way the enemy is. It doesn't matter if it takes him years to get to you and your family. He has been devising a plan for a long time. You better watch out. 
Because there is a devilish diplomacy against you and your life. See, Peter denied Jesus after he saw him taken from the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, he probably freaked out, right? I mean, what to do? What to do? They are taking my Jesus away. I mean, am I supposed to cut an ear off? What am I supposed to do here? But there's one thing about Peter that we learn right before Jesus is taking off. He is weak. His flesh, a matter of fact, this is what the Bible tells us. That while Jesus was praying, guess what Peter was doing? <sighs> He's snoring. He's sleeping while Jesus is praying. And when Jesus looked at him, these are the words that I hear. When he said, Lord, oh, I can pray with you an hour. I can do this. I can do that. I'll even die for you. And he's like, man, you can't even pray for an hour with me. What makes me think that you're ready to die for me? And he went afar off, following afar off. But this is what he told him. He said, surely your spirit is willing. He said, but your flesh... It is so weak. When we look at Abraham's faith, it failed in the time of famine. God told Abraham, he said, you go. You go to a new land. I'm giving you everywhere you walk, you're going to be blessed. It's going to be like the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. That's your children. That's your inheritance. But the Bible said a famine came up. And instead of just keeping on the straight and narrow path, even Abraham, yes, the great faithful one, made a detour to Egypt. Do y'all remember reading that in your Bible? He goes there and he looks at Sarah and says, you are a beautiful woman. Now, a lot of us today think that beautiful women, oh, it's when you're younger. And older women say, oh, man, I'm losing my beauty. But see, back in those days, beauty was really in the aged. It was not the young. It was the aged. Because when we study it, she's at the age of 65 years old during the text. And he said, you are such a classy and beautiful lady that I'm afraid that the Pharaoh is going to desire you. And if he knows that you're my wife, then guess what's going to happen? He's going to kill me. I ain't having that. You're my sister. So he walks in, he lies. The first thing they say, man, this is a beautiful 65-year-old lady. I mean, she carries herself well. She's a class act. Man, I want to marry this woman. He says, well, it's my sister. And so Pharaoh takes her into his house as his wife. See, now when you read the text, and I don't have time to preach all this. God, i got to hurry. When you read the text, this is what you find. You're thinking, oh, my goodness, he just took him in, and then God cursed him, and he took him out. She may have been his wife for weeks, even months. We really don't know. But she stayed in his house until God sent a curse. And when God sent a curse, he said, you hid something from me. This is your wife. Take this woman and get out of here so that God will remove the curse. What I'm showing you is he basically sold his wife to Pharaoh to save his own skin. He's a man of faith, but at the same time, he's a man, a man of doubt. But Satan knew the timing was right, and he attacked at the right time. What is the answer? How do I prepare myself for when Satan attacks? Well, the Bible teaches us you just stay in the presence of the Lord with praise and worship. In Psalm 16, he said, you will show me the path of life in your 
presence not away from your presence but in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand is pleasures forevermore you stay closer to Jesus especially when you are weak and you are vulnerable like Hezekiah was I got the timing secondly I got the tactic let's go on down so the tactic of the enemy is he sent letters and a present to Hezekiah for he heard he had been sick this is diplomacy at its best there is no siege on the city there is no destruction there is no war Judah would be brought down without one man pulling a single sword out of their sheath in other words the king said we're going to do this the smart way Satan if I can say it this way just massaged Hezekiah's ego and his pride because he was proud of what he had he enjoyed the recognition from the enemy. He enjoyed the gifts that were given to him. In years past, Satan has attacked the church with rocks, guns, and fire. But today, do you know what he does? He just simply flatters and convinces us of our own Facebook posts or our own clippings or our own compliments of ourselves, And he just massages as a yeah, boy, you are doing really, really good. Without ever attacking, he works through our ego. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Hezekiah, watch out. Understand one thing I learned years ago. That is, I am nothing without Jesus. You ought to say that every single day. I am nothing without Jesus. The silver, the gold doesn't matter. Hezekiah, all your stuff doesn't matter. All that matters is do you know who Jesus is? So the tactic of the enemy, no attack, just a massaging of our own egos. Then we see the target. Go to verse 13 for me there, Chevy, if you don't mind. And Hezekiah was attentive to them. He showed them all the house of his treasures. Look at what he shows them, the silver and the gold. Satan wants the precious things, ladies and gentlemen. Silver and gold speak of the kingdom's economy. It speaks of what we have. We can run a kingdom with, we can't run a kingdom without money. Do you understand what I'm telling you? So he wants to see where the money is. If we can get the money, we can tear down this kingdom. It kind of reminds me of the news that I saw just the other day, and I don't watch for about five minutes a week anymore. That's all I can handle. I just heard we broke. That's all I ever hear. We broke. We got a debt ceiling deadline. What does that mean for me, Pastor? What it means is eventually your taxes are going up. That's what it means. Because you have a Congress that goes in there. If you make $100 a week, Ola, and you decide that you're going to spend $200 a week, what happens? You 100 negative. Am I right? You do that for years and years. After a while, you thousands. We just work with bigger numbers, so we're trillions. Broke. The devil knew that if he could get into the economy... He could get it. The spices and precious ointment speak of favor and unity. The armor speaks of the kingdom's fighting power. It speaks of their weapons. Satan desires to defeat us in every one of these areas. Like Hezekiah, and I want you to hear this, we have given a grand tour to the enemy too many times. It is one thing to be robbed by your enemy, but it is another thing to take the burglar in your house and show him everything you got before he takes it. 
And that is exactly what Hezekiah did. He said, y'all come on up in here now. Babylon, an enemy of Israel. Babylon, a world that is full of paganistic gods. They do not serve God. There's trouble waiting to happen. But here goes my gold. Here goes my silver. Look at everything. Show the burglar everything they need to see. When we neglect prayer, dedication, Bible reading, commitment to Christ... We are giving the devil a grand tour, if you will. Satan wants your money. Satan wants your, he wants to control that. He, want, he doesn't want that tent going to God. He controls that. He doesn't want you to have favor with God. He doesn't want you to have unity with men. He doesn't want you to have weapons like a prayer life. He doesn't want you to have that. Sometimes, you know, we show the devil or tell the devil everything. Sometimes it may be better just to keep our mouth shut. Because we just tell the devil all of our weaknesses. We tell him what we're angry about. I mean, when you get mad at somebody and you go home and you're talking about it out loud, the devil's listening. He's like, uh-huh. Now I know where the target is. I know what I got to do. Fourthly, I've got the tragedy of the story. And I'll close with this. See, no, no alliance was necessary for Judah to win. And Isaiah was very quick to come in and inform Hezekiah of what God had already done. Assyria has the biggest army of all. They are, if we have to look at the military threat, it is not Babylon. The diplomatic threat is Babylon. And sure enough, his diplomacy worked because Judah was defeated. All the stuff that he showed them was taking the Babylon to a foreign nation full of strange gods, the holy things. For you that were here Wednesday, we just talked about a handwriting on the wall. Y'all remember that? It's because the king decided to bring out the things that were taken from God's land to drink wine out of and to celebrate and feast with. And God said, you don't desecrate the holy thing. And a hand writes on the wall and says, your kingdom's numbered. And God showed up in Babylon and said, you're not going to make a mockery of me in front of all these people. So here we've got the tragedy of the story. And Isaiah pointed out to him, the biggest army around you is Assyria and Sennacherib. But here is the deal. In the last verse, or the last chapter, or the chapter before this, I should say, this is what God said. The Assyrians had made a diplomatic, and this, their diplomacy was not like the king of Babylon. They were just going to come and knock the doors in and just kill everybody. They knew they had the numbers. So in other words, if I've got one man with the sword and I've got two men with the sword, what are the odds of this guy winning, right? It's two versus one. If I can win with the numbers, then I can win the war. That is his mentality. And so what does God do? That king sent a letter to him. It is not diplomatic like Babylon. He sends a letter and says, we're going to take everything you got. We're going to kill you. Hezekiah is humbled instead of massaging his ego. He lays the letter out before the Lord and says, this is what they say they're going to do. And God said, not to my kingdom. Not when you call on my name, Hezekiah. It's like, as long as you pray and as long as you ask me to help you, I, have, I will never leave you or forsake you. I told you, boy, I would go with you until the very end. You leave that letter on the altar, I'll take care of it tonight. 
And that night God sent an angel and killed, y'all remember? 185,000 troops that were set to march against the king at Judah. The Bible said that when Judah got up the next morning, all they saw was dead bodies laying around. While they were sleeping, God was killing the enemy. See, now y'all want to shout hallelujah, but the tragedy of the story is that Hezekiah has already forgotten the good things that God has done for them. And how that God has always delivered them. And how that God doesn't need an alliance with an Egypt or a Babylon or even an Assyria. Enemies of God. He doesn't need that alliance to advance his kingdom. He said, I can do it all by myself. Let me tell you something. You don't need the world to help you advance. All you need is God. He is all that you need. He promotes and demotes. He sets up who he wants. He puts down who he will. Don't you try to make an alliance with somebody you don't need to make an alliance with to be successful. God's got your back. Make an alliance with God. That's all you need. So here we go. Do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God, James said. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself. Did you hear that? God doesn't want us to be his enemy. But when we choose to make an alliance with worldly things or the world, he says you make yourself an enemy of God. Babylon represented worldliness and sin. Hezekiah, you don't need them. But he was sick. He was tired. He was weak. And he was vulnerable. But God didn't let him off the hook for it. Judgment is pronounced. He said, Babylon is going to take away all your treasures. Your sons are going to become servants rather than heirs to the throne. Now, I want you all to grab this. If I'm a king, I want my boy to be my predecessor. Can I get an amen from a father out there? I mean, what father is going to be like, I'd rather that boy be a slave out of China and Babylon. He'll learn his lesson. But when I read my story, I'm troubled and I'm really devastated because it's a tragedy. Because the Bible tells us that he would rather his sons become servants than heirs to a throne. So instead of your sons being kings, they are going to be slaves. Hezekiah. Go to verse 19. i got to read it before I close. This is crazy. This is what I'll call Hezekiah's surprising response. The word of the Lord which you have spoken. It is good with exclamation points. For he said, will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? Now, when I read this, I'm going to tell you what. Can I just tell you what I felt in my spirit? When I read this yesterday, I felt angry. When I read what Hezekiah said, the emotion that I got from it was not happiness and woo, yeah, let's do it. It was anger. Quite frankly, I was disgusted by reading the response of Hezekiah. It made me angry and disgusted. In other words, what Hezekiah said, I don't care what happens to them as long as everything is good for me. We will live for the moment. Don't worry about the next generation. I'm going to tell you folks something that it's a tragedy, the same tragedy that happened to King Hezekiah is a tragedy that has happened to many churches. They are living in the moment trying to make it through, hold on to what they believe is their truth and they're leaving behind a generation 
that should be following them and ready to take up the mantle. That is why many churches are dead or either they are dying because they refuse to invest in the next generation. Let me tell the devil that's one thing we refuse to do is not invest in our next generation because I want to tell every young person in this house, this is your church. See, I think so many times we fail to let them know that. Because people grow up, teenagers grow up. Let me visit with you for just a minute. Teenagers grow up and they think to themselves, oh, that's mama's church or that's grandma and grandpa's church and and they do everything. There's no place for me. Let me tell you something, honey. There is a place for you. And you are needed in the kingdom of God. I'm talking from the smallest kid I got to the 18-year-old, 19, 20, 21-year-old college student I've got in this house today. I am wanting you to know this is your church. And I want you to know something flat-footed behind this pulpit. As long as I'm the pastor, we are not going to leave you behind. We're going to hold you up in prayer. We're going to use you in the kingdom of God because we know you're valuable to God's kingdom. We know that. But Hezekiah in his pride says, I'm not worried about them. All the while, it is simply devilish diplomacy at its best. And it's amazing that I look at churches all the time and many of them still don't even see that the devil is doing that to them. What do you have? Who do you have to leave your church to. It's kind of like a person when they die and you get their inheritance and you look, if they don't have a will, who does it go to? The next of kin, right? But normally it goes to their kids and their kids' kids and you're leaving whatever you've worked hard to have, you're leaving it for them. But what I see, and it's a tragedy to me, even in our church of God, what we are seeing is when it comes time to hand something over, We don't have nobody to give it to. Who you think takes the will? I'll just say it the way it is. The devil. We don't revitalize the church. We don't send a young man in there to try to build a good college in the middle of a college. All that we do is say, we'll sell it and put the money in the bank. And we'll call it a win. I don't call it a win. I call it a loss. I call it a diplomacy of the devil. It is time we stand up for what is ours. It's time we reach another generation. You do not belong to Babylon, bless God. You belong to the kingdom of God. Man, I about feel like preaching today. Maybe I'm half mad and half anointed. I don't know yet. I told you I felt angry. No, there you go. Woo, I feel better now. So I'm leaving you with this. Play the piano wherever you are, please. God forbid that our children pay for the sins of their fathers. God forbid. God forbid. I'm going to say this as clear as I can. God forbid that they inherit a lifeless, dead church because of our errors and because of our sins to recognize this devilish diplomacy that he is trying to put on us. In my conclusion today... What you and I do today will have an effect on our families and our churches in years to come. That's right. Years to come. We are preparing now for five, ten years down the road. And see, I commend you. 
Because we are moving forward. And we are doing things to invest in the next generation. And we're giving them new sanctuaries. And we're giving them renovated offices. We are doing things for years to come. Because we know we got to have something to leave them. Let us resist the, the devilish diplomacy of Satan. Remembering always the admonition or warning of God's word. You be sober. Look at 1 Peter 5 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion. He is seeking or looking for whoever he may devour. But amongst the tragedy that I just preached. I leave you not with tragedy. But I got some great news for you today. The devil will not like the news that I am about to share with you because I am about to expose him and I am about to expose his plans. Romans chapter 16 verse 20. This is what God said to those that will hold on a little longer, not make an alliance with the world. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Did somebody hear that? He can get his diplomacy all together. He can plan all that he wants. You plan away, devil. But God's been planning too. And very soon, we're going to hold on until you are underneath our feet and we walk away with the victory. Let's all stand. i got to leave you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ keep Grab a mic. Sing over there. Sing over there. Today I'm opening this altar. I'm opening this altar. I had some folks that wanted some prayer cloths. Guess what? I found them. I found them. I had to dig through boxes. Praise God. But I have achieved it. I've got it. So I know some of you wanted some prayer cloths anointed. I'll be more than glad to do that this morning for you during the altar time. But if you want to come and pray, I want to invite you to do that. Listen to me. Satan is making diplomacy against you right now. Satan is moving in against your family right now. I am giving you a fair warning. I am the person, the watchman on the tower that says, the enemy is coming. That's what the watchman did, right? When we studied about our last uh, Babylon, we were talking about how they had like 75 watchtowers, I believe it was, all around the city. And their one job was whenever they saw an enemy coming, they would shout, the enemy is coming, the enemy is coming, prepare for war. And I'm telling you that today. He's coming. But I'm also telling you that if you will not align yourself with the world, He's going to be underneath your foot. That's what I'm telling you today. If you want to pray, you're more than welcome to come. We already got somebody. Come on, come on and spend some time with Jesus. Yes. Your name is power. Your name is power. Your name is power.